From a totally different perspective? Ready for provocative conversation? Intriguing stories and inspiration? Then don't touch that dial. Welcome to Talk with Francesca. She'll give you something to talk about all week long. Now, here's Francesca. What if you took the time to really soak it Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talk with Francesca. I'm Francesca Luca, your host, and I appreciate you listening to my show. So speak to me. My team and I spend a lot of time and energy thinking and preparing for our show about things I care about, and I think you will too. So talk to me. Let me know what what's going on in your head, what you're thinking, if you find the show riveting, valuable, horrific, or even offensive. Just fill in the blank and uh, jet me an email at info at talkwithfrancesca.com. You can also go right to my website, talkwithfrancesca.com, and fill out the contact form there. You can visit me on Facebook. I promise I'll get right back to you. And if you missed part of the show, you can go to recent shows on my website. Again, talk with Francesca and listen there. I'm also now on iTunes, so plenty of places to listen to talk with Francesca. All right. Do you know that... Thanks to a declining mortality and fertility rates, by the year 2050, more than 80 million Americans are going to be 65 years or older, nearly twice the number of senior citizens today. So that's that's pretty staggering. A statistic that has implications for everything from healthcare spending to the availability of a skilled workforce. But our rapidly accumulating golden years may actually represent a gold mine says Joseph Coughlin. He is the founder and director of MIT's Age Lab, and he's here with us now, and he's written The Longevity Economy, Unlocking the World's Fastest Growing, Most Misunderstood Market. So a big welcome to you, Joe, and good morning, and thanks for joining us on Talk with Francesca. It's great to be here, Francesca. Thank you so much. So retiring to Florida right now seems like a pretty good idea with this frigid weather, but you say it's a bad idea, so tell us why. Yeah, you know, sunshine is a great thing, especially those of us who are in light-starved uh, northern climes, in New England especially. Mm-hmm. But, you know, retiring to Florida is also a state of mind. Uh, we can find those sunshine belts, but part of living longer is living better. And we have to ask ourselves, it's not just about a walk on the beach or several thousand rounds of golf and the eight thousand days that we will call retirement on average Mm -hmm. it's about remaining engaged and productive and making sure we find the things that we love that we get to do and that's not so easy is it it's you know i mean i think you're really right i mean how many rounds of golf can one person do and and i think we do need to feel engaged in as we get older and involved because now i know my father he retired at i don't know i think it was like 55 years old i mean really really young but you know, and he and my mom would go to Florida, and but he always had his hands in something. You know, he had to. He just and he he did play golf, but that just it wasn't enough. You know, it just it wasn't. But so, how do we change that current image of the elderly? Well, you know, let, let me if you forgive me to do just a little bit of math. I want you to think about this. Your dad's retirement, my father's retirement, is very different than what our retirement will be. We are likely to live far longer. And I want you to think about the math behind this. Do you know that from zero birth to 21 years old is about 8,000 days? And from 21 to midlife crisis, 
to, is 8,000 days. And for wait, 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 let's back up here. What, at what point is the midlife crisis? <laughs> well, you figure midlife crisis, we, we typically like to talk about maybe our late 40s as kind of being our midlife crisis or midlife point. Yeah. So from yeah. 21 to that midlife crisis is 8,000 days. It's a long time. Yeah. But also think about this, from midlife crisis to retirement is 8,000 days. But here's the kicker, Francesca. From retirement age, around 62 to 65, the fastest growing part of the population is age 85 plus. Guess what? That's another 8,000 days. So while many of us have this vision of walking the beach, playing golf, or maybe spending time with the grandchildren, those are all great. But those are punctuated moments. Filling 8,000 days in retirement is as challenging as it was in our youth. Yeah, that is, you know, when you when you spell it out that way, it, that's that's unbelievable. I mean, that's really 8,000 days. <laughs> you know, when you say from 21 to 50, I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> so, so what do you do? No, absolutely. So one of the things we have to do is that we have to get rid of the mythology that retirement is a time to kick back, retire and do nothing. In fact, retirement is actually a lot of work. This is a time for us to really think about how do we add structure to our lives, whether it's something as simple as exercise, but frankly, finding hobbies, volunteering. Many of us, in fact, most of us are saying that part-time work is something we want to do, not just for the money, but for the meaning. And frankly, particularly for men, their wives want them out of the house (laughs) as much as possible. No, as I say in my book, The Longevity Economy, we we did research and many wives came back with the phrase, which I guess is very popular, and I just learned it. And my wife is uh, warning me that I should listen to it, which is I married him for life. I did not marry him for lunch. So quite often. (laughs) I have heard that before. That's funny, though. Why do you think that? So why do you think that couples don't want to be together? (laughs) I well, mean, you know, actually, men, when uh, at the MIT Age Lab, the research we have done that I put into the book shows that men actually look for retirement as a time to relax and to spend time with their wives. Women say, no, it's a time for me, and it's a time maybe for my grandchildren, but more importantly, a time for me to do all the things I put off while I was doing something for somebody else. Notice uh-huh. there's no conversation about spending time with their husband. And so one of the the, uh, uh, phrases that we often hear from wives is that he's always there. He's on my couch. I have a routine. I have things to do. And he's always following me, wanting to know what I'm going to do or what we're going to do next. And so, frankly, (laughs) work and retirement may actually save your marriage. You know, yeah, it reminds me. This was many, many years ago, but I I kind of never forgot it. I used to walk along the beach, and there was a woman who – you know, a much older woman, and she was married, and her husband had now retired. And it was almost as if you had just had a conversation with her the way you were, what you were saying, because exactly what she was saying. She said, look, her from nine to five, let's get something straight. Okay, you're doing your thing. I'm doing mine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she, you know, and I mean, she wasn't saying it, you know, I mean, they had a, a terrific marriage, a wonderful couple. But it you know she was really clear that like this is this is my time you know i don't i don't want you, you know, hanging and, around with me from 9 to 5 
you know, so. And, 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 it's, and it's sad to admit for my own gender, but, you know, men typically, particularly the, the current generation and the next generation to retire, lack a little bit of imagination about what to do next. If you think about it, they've wrapped their entire lives their social network, which is what we used to call friends before the internet, uh-huh. but their social network all around work and maybe a few people in the neighborhood. Well, as our kids grow and the like, our friends and our neighbors become less and less, shall we say, connected. And frankly, if you retire, you often leave your identity, your friends and everything else at the office. Your wife may very well have worked, but women, and here's the big difference. You need to hear from some geek at MIT that boys and girls are different. <laughs> here's the big difference between men, men, men and women. Women do so much more. It's not about the gender. It's about their role. They are caregivers. They are wives. They are, they are uh, uh, mothers. They, they are workers. They are, they're, they're professionals. And they have all those different roles and different meanings that are certainly tapping their time and their well-being. But when retirement comes, they've got so much more that they want to do and are engaged in and people that they've engaged with. Men, unfortunately, and my wife always says, are you listening to your own research? We're pretty boring. And the second question another man asks a man after I know your name is, what do you do? And once we no longer do it, our wives often look at us saying, I don't know what you do, but I'm no longer doing it with you. (laughs) So, okay, so what? So how do we fix this dilemma? Well, I I think one of the things we should think of is that the longevity economy is not just about business. It is about the gift of time. This is a chance not to retire, but to reinvent and do new things. So consider the following. You know, we're now heading into the New Year's resolution period, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so we may want to think about, you know, what is a new hobby or something that I can take up and do? Is there something new that I can learn? And it doesn't have to be a college degree or certificate. It could be something fun, but it could also be something that you want to pursue to do a little bit more, to expand your horizon, to have something new to talk about. And frankly, one of the most important things, to find new people to connect with. Because I hate to report this, many of us know it, but with age, shall we say, there's a natural attrition to our friends. Some Mm -hmm. move, some downsize. Shall we say some just go away, to put it nicely? Mm-hmm. How about part-time work, whether it's volunteering or for pay? Not only if it's volunteering, not only would you do well for yourself, but you'll do good for others. And that part-time work might actually extend your wealth span to go with your lifespan, which is probably going to be far longer than most people anticipate. We make the mistake quite often in retirement of thinking, well, my parents lived to X. I'll probably add a few years and that'll be it. The fact of the matter is, is that with education and money, those are the two biggest predictors of how long and how well you will live. So having something to do keeps you interested, keeps you perhaps having a little income in the house and keeping you engaged in our livelihoods. And, and lives, and frankly, as we said, it might keep your wife sticking and keep around your and ours here remotely interested. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and Francesca. I don't know if you know this. The highest divorce rate in the world is amongst the fifty plus. The so-called gray divorce. Yeah, so the gray nation. That, yeah. yeah so why? That, why that, do you think that is? Days. Well, you know, it, it's it's part of that interest area. Mm-hmm. It's part of, frankly, they run out of things to do. You know, a good marriage. Is like is like a a good business. You've got to continue to be innovative, continue to do something else, and 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 to remain interesting. Because longer life has got amazing opportunities, 
but it's got amazing challenges. I mean, are you going to live in the same house you've lived in for 30, 40, 50 years? Are you going to be doing the same work for 30 or 40 years and even in retirement doing the same thing, maybe even part-time? Is your wife or your husband going to want to hear the same jokes over and over again? Yeah, it these, is. These it's, are, it's, these, yeah. It's true. Women are in the fifties. Women are leaving men by droves. You know, I mean, in my in my other life, years ago, I actually owned a dating service, and and when a woman um, or or man wouldn't really matter would come into the service, and they were in their fifties, it was like, oh no what am I going to do with this person? You know, seriously, the reason I say, what am I going to do with this person? Because there just weren't enough people in that age group to go around to match them with yeah. one another. So it was really a nightmare. Um, well. and it, but, but today, today, people in the 50s have, are, are reconnecting with, they're getting divorced and they're reconnecting with, with other people. And, I, and it seems that those that have really kind of evolved emotionally are the ones that are getting reconnected. So, you know, it's very interesting. In, in my book, I tell a great story uh, about dating services and women in particular. I describe in the longevity economy that the future is indeed female. And one of the things that we find is that women who go on dating sites, are they interested in romance? Yeah. Are they interested in sex? Sure, but the number one thing that they were really interested in was social connection. Are you interesting? Are there things that we can do together? And so, frankly, we have to rethink what dating and romance and connecting means in older age. I mean, one of the amazing, great opportunities for business, society, and for us as individuals is that living longer and living better is an entirely uncharted territory. We can't use our parents and our grandparents as measures as to what retirement will be because, frankly, we live in a different time with different expectations, technologies, and, frankly, needs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you're just tuning in this morning, you're listening to Talk with Francesca. I'm speaking with Joseph Coughlin. He is the author of The Longevity Economy, Unlocking the World's Fastest Growing, Most Misunderstood Market. So let's talk a little bit about how companies can prepare for this aging world. Absolutely. I mean, one of the dismal failures of business has been, frankly, overlooking, consciously overlooking, that is, the older market. Francesca, I want you to imagine this. Do you know that the 50 plus in the United States control 70 percent, 70 percent of the disposable income in the United States? No kidding. And yet they, hmm. go, they, yet they garner less than 2 percent of the advertising. How much of the advertising or TV shows or things that you see in the store are aimed at people 50 and older at all? It seems that after about 35, you're not just invisible, you're just plain ignored. In fact, just one more stat, I don't want to bore you or the audience, but just the, the, the size is amazing. That in terms of world economies, the largest economy in the world is the United States. The second is China. But do you know the third largest world economy would be the buying power of a 60-plus worldwide? This is not your mother or grandfather's economy or old age. So why do you think the companies are completely uh, dismissing that age group? Well, it's popular to blame the baby boomers for lots of things, and I'm one of them, and I probably am going to blame ourselves again. But if you think about it, 
we are the people that our parents warned us about, as Jimmy Buffett might say. We trained business to be perpetually focused on the young. We were this endless fountain of youth of 60, 70, nearly 80 million consumers. Well, frankly, now that most of us are over age 60, the fact of the matter is that business has learned for the last 60 years to only focus on the young. It is now up to this new consumer with great expectations in old age to retrain business to have a multi-generational appeal. So it's not either young or old. It's frankly creating products that excite and delight at any age. Well, this is very exciting because my listenership is, you know, um, a little on the older side and, um, you know, like in the 40s on up. And so this is really good news for people. We do need to take a short break. Um, but when we come back, you said in an interview that older women will soon rule the world. So when we come back, I'd love to talk about that. Listeners, stay with us here. Don't jump on that plane. We will be right back. Captain Lord Mansion is the ultimate bed and breakfast experience. It's the only AAA four diamond bed and breakfast in Kennebunkport. But it's so much more. It's the perfect, elegant, romantic getaway. Relax at their day spa. Be pampered in your room with heated floors, jetted showers and tubs, gas fireplaces, king and queen beds, flat screen TVs, and all the quaintness with all the modern conveniences. Be surrounded by impeccable gardens, waterfalls, fountains, a putting green a charming gift shop, wine cellar, the list goes on and on, including a full three-course breakfast. This is a stay that you will never forget. Engage in our special offers. Call 207-967-3141. 207-967-3141. CaptainLordMansion.com. In Kennebunkport, Maine, memories and elegance await you. Your body is not the only part of you that needs training. Your brain needs it too. Decision making and focus are one of the most important skills to accomplish your goals in life. Combat brain training is the first targeted neuroplasticity training that actually improves your cognitive ability to observe, decide, and act better and faster. Unlike digital-based programs that research shows create minimal or no real-world benefits, it incorporates portable handheld training tools that utilize all parts of the brain. 100% of the people who have followed the program report significant improvements in performance regardless of starting cognitive baseline. This program is perfect for anyone looking to accelerate their thinking process and really focus more effectively on any task at hand. Don't wait any longer. Go to CombatBrainTraining.com and find out more. The easiest way to improve your health is to switch to a healthier coffee. Over 19,000 studies have shown that coffee makes a fundamental difference in health and longevity. It also comes down to drinking a roast that comes without the bad stuff and has more of the good stuff. Delicious, purity organic coffee has been tested to be free of molds, liptotoxins, and pesticides, as well as having the single highest level of antioxidants of any coffee tested. Go to puritycoffee.com and use code COFFEETALK to get 20% off your first order. Once again, that's puritycoffee.com. Offer code COFF. E-E-T-A-L-K. Located in Boston's North End holds one of our best-kept secrets, Antico Forno, ranked number nine of the top ten Italian restaurants around the world within the category of being one of the most authentic. With a welcoming family feel, it's hard to argue the experience you have when enjoying dinner at Antico Forno. 
Best known for their brick oven pizza, their world-class traditional cuisine does not fall far behind. Come enjoy dinner at Antico Forno and feel like part of the family. Open daily from 11.30 a.m. until 10 p.m. Call us today at 617-723-6733 or visit us at AnticoFornoBoston.com. All right, we are back, and you're listening to Talk with Francesca. I am speaking with Joseph Coughlin. He has written The Longevity Economy, Unlocking the World's Fastest-Growing, Most Misunderstood Market. Welcome back, Joe. Hey, it's great to be here, Francesca. Thank you. So you said in an interview that older women will soon rule the world. Well, I like that. (laughs) Not that I'm (laughs) power-hungry, but I do... I think, you know, I think in a way they're starting to rule the world right right now with the the, the whole Me Too thing. So, but uh, but anyway, so so tell me about tell me about that. Well, it's it's probably about time, and I'm a little biased. I've got two daughters and a wife, so I'm I'm, I'm good good with the outcome. Yeah, no, yeah, no. Oh, me too. Oh, I'm I'm <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's I, it's 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 long overdue, and uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's always been a taboo topic. So I'm. I'm grateful. You know, it's it's important that women stay safe and um, they don't have to go through this. So so it's great. But uh, yeah, they're they are. It seems like they're starting to 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 rule over here. So so congrats to all the women out there. But anyway, okay. So you say older <laughs> women will, will soon rule the world. So so tell us how why. Sure, I want you to imagine the following. This is something that business often, many businesses often overlook, but frankly, I think a lot of a lot of males and husbands, in particular, don't think about, which is the following: is that women are the chief consumer officer of the house. They are, as I'd like to describe, they the future is female because she is the one making the choices. You know, there is this mythology or public idea that men are the ones that are dominating certain decisions or that in certain cultures men dominate well and they as we uh, may many of may have seen the my big fat greek wedding mm-hmm. uh you know the the man may be the head of the house but the woman is the neck and she turns the head what do you think about this <laughs> whatever you, your you, mother you, says goes i don't know yeah. that's what that's what i learned growing up <laughs> exactly no matter how much noise you hear in the corner that's what goes but think about some obvious areas where mom rules the house. Dr. Mom controls 80 cents to 90 cents on the dollar of every health care decision in the United States, from picking the Band-Aid, the over-the-counter medicine, to choosing the doctor, to being that advocate in the hospital, whatever it might be. She is the one making that decision. Do you know that women buy or directly influence more than 65% of all automobile purchases? They, Unless, of course, they it's do? a luxury car. Yeah, unless it's a luxury car, and then it goes up to past 80%. And here's one that might be a little surprising to you. Next time you go into a home improvement store like a Lowe's or a Home Depot, if you recall when they first opened, they had the guy with the tool belt and the forklifts running to run you over and everything else. Well, guess what? They found that the most powerful consumer coming in there was not the guy with a three-quarter ton pickup truck, but a woman in her 50s or uh, older that was going in to remodel a kitchen or a bathroom and the like. And that's why now you see the stores showing, gee, how does that cabinet look in my kitchen? How does this appliance make my life better? No, the future is female because women are the chief consumer officer. They are the ones who manage all those roles from being a housewife to caregiver to professional. And here's the other thing. Women are now more educated in all fields but engineering. 
from bachelor's degrees to graduate degrees. This makes them the consummate researcher. They are the smart buyer. And businesses who fail to uh, accept that and acknowledge that lose in the marketplace of the longevity economy. Well, there are also more women out there than men, aren't there? Yeah, it's about 51% or so. That's it? When it comes to... That's it? Yeah, 51, 52%. But when it comes out to doing things, per se, it is about women. Now, yes, you're right. When you get we get into the older statistics, yes, then there becomes more and more women. In fact, the ratio of women in, shall we say, nursing care, I'd like to say this will be a great opportunity for me to improve my dating ratio when I was in high school, is roughly six to seven women to every one guy. So if you can see at night and drive, you've got it made. <laughs> I have an 87-year-old uncle, and he's uh, he lost his wife, um, bless her heart, about three years ago. But he said it's unbelievable. <laughs> and there aren't just women, but there aren't just women in his age group that are after him. But even women younger, uh, of course, he's really a character, and uh, you know he may be 87, but and it isn't even the way he looks. But he's just he's so full of energy, and actually, he's a perfect example of getting older and really embracing his retirement in his life. I mean, he's just, he's a religious man, so he he goes to church every day, um, but he works at the church and, you know, cleaning up around there and helping out, and then he plays a a musical instrument, and he's in a band, and... how, how you're describing him with fondness and the like, and that this is something I really want your listeners to take to heart, is that retirement in the longevity economy can't be what our parents, even those who had good... Like just uh, waiting uh, to die, income, right? Yeah. Just waiting to die or, or going to a golf community or beach community, of which, by the way, I love both. Mm-hmm. But sitting there for years, <clears throat> if not decades, just waiting makes you less interesting, less engaged, by the way, less healthy. Yes. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, because you need to be connected. And if you're not connected, you have nothing. Absolutely. You know, all the money in the world cannot make one happy. No, absolutely. And by the way, time can be a gift or or it can be a penalty. Mm -hmm. And so this is an opportunity for businesses and society and families to say, we want to do more, not simply to have more time. I wish I had brought my uncle on the show this morning. <laughs> but, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, he'd be great. Well, you know what? It's, what's interesting about him is, you know, we look for, you know, we think about what makes you happy, right? But he does not describe his life like that. You know how he describes his life? I have so much joy in my life. That's what he says, yeah. joy. And it's like, that's it's different. It, there's something different about that word. And he truly does. He gives, and he doesn't have a lot of money. I mean, he really, truly does no. not. I mean, he is, su- and he's funny, he's such a character. He's telling me, geez, you know, something's going on with my car, but geez, it's only got 270 thousand miles on it. It's like, well, Uncle Joe, maybe it's time to trade it in and, <laughs> and get a new one. But his just his whole attitude about life and living life and it just you know so I was telling my sister I said so Uncle Joe has got all these women after him and she said does that surprise you I mean really does it surprise you the guy is a happy guy and he's you know he's living his life and um, you know over the holidays he was in a Christmas concert and it's just it's a beautiful thing but a lot of people that but they don't all have their health either that's that's a big thing 
Exactly, because you know one of the things that we we picked up in a lot of the, the research that we've done at the MIT Age Lab is that women, in particular, in older age, they've already been a caregiver at least once or twice. You know, mm. in their forties and fifties, the number one caregiver of an older adult, a parent, is a, the oldest adult daughter between forty-seven and fifty-seven years old, and then often it's the the husband who uh, or our male partner who needs care, so she's caring again. So by the time she's in her 60s and 70s, if she's alone, often what we will hear is I neither want to be a nurse nor somebody's purse. They <laughs> just want to have fun. You got some great expressions, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be a nurse or someone's purse. <laughs> oh, that is that is really, that is funny. It is, it is true, but that's also a problem for women because there's so much of that going around, you know? <laughs> sort of speak no, you know I, that I, men I, I, are I, I, wanting to kind of be taken care of or you know I don't know about necessarily financially I, I guess I haven't really particularly noticed that but um, it does seem that men want to be taken care of still yeah, I mean you know and, often it's said that, that you know older men are just you know little boys in, in bigger clothes <laughs> and often uh, ill-fitting clothes too. <laughs> but, but, but but you know, I, I think this really goes to a, a, a societal narrative or story about retirement that must change. It's it's holding back innovation from businesses to create experiences and products and services that excite and delight. But it's also you know, stories about old age and retirement teach us about what we're supposed to do. And the current narrative of old age is you're supposed to retire. You're supposed to go away. You're supposed to wait for the grandchildren to come visit you. You're supposed to stop whatever that is. Stop work. Stop this. Because now you're retired. And men follow that narrative really well because, frankly, many people are not asking them for anything else. I think as a society, we really need to up our game. We now need to say that from zero to 100, whatever you can do, you should be doing it. And that keeps you engaged and interested and healthy for everyone. I mean, if you just look around at the people who are happiest and are healthiest and are, you know, living the longest, it is people, you know, like, you know, there's always an interview, how did you turn, how did you live to be 100? And the answers are always the same. It's a certain type of person that lives to be 100. They're just, you know, easygoing and they're engaged and, uh, you know, they don't have time for for pettiness. And it, it really does make a difference. It really, truly does. No, there, there, there was a study done of uh, centenarians, people who live uh, 100 and beyond. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting anecdotes that came out of that is that one of the most common things that the centenarians would read in the newspaper every morning was not the obituaries, not the business page, not even the first page. They turned to the comics. Really? And so if you think about it, having that, that, that sense of kind of what you were saying about your uncle, having that sense of joy, if you will, or looking at the positive. Now, the good news is, by the way, is that as we age, we start to filter out negative information. Uh, not to bore your listeners, but there's something called socio-emotional regulatory theory. You know what that means? No, it's please. It's what our parents always said. Our parents always said, life is too short for fill in the blank with something negative. Mm-hmm. Or the folks who say, I don't want to go into senior housing because there's too many old people there. And it's usually an 85-year-old saying that. So we filter out negative information as we get older. But the better we do that, frankly, some people say it's naive, but it's also a great way to be able to cope and to find the joy that you were remarking about your uncle. 
So, yeah, can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Well, think about this. When, when you're much, much younger, you're, 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 you're maybe uh, fearless, but you're nervous about what's to come, particularly in, in your 30s and 40s. You're very concerned about economics for good reasons. You're very concerned about children. You're always looking for where are the hazards, and you're being very careful about what you do. You know, what we find in terms of how people look at life in the future, like, for instance, we ask people in surveys, how is your life today at age 16? <clears throat> They'll say, yeah, it's okay. It's, it's actually pretty good. How do you think your life is going to be tomorrow? Overwhelmingly, people will give that life evaluation is, I think it's going to be great. You're taking more meds. Your grandchildren don't want to visit you. Your wife just dumped you, and you've got three chronic conditions. But people are reporting life is much better because those who are doing well are actually filtering out the negative information around them. Now, yes, that, that can set them up for a problem, but it also allows them to go forward another day. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, a great attitude. We do need to take a short break, but when we come back, I'd like to talk about some different ways in which Age Lab is improving the life of the elderly. So listeners, stay with us here. We will be right back. Coffee no longer has to be a guilty pleasure. You've heard that red wine is good for you because of nature's most potent antioxidant, resveratrol. Vera Roasting Company makes the only coffee infused with it. Each cup of Vera's coffee delivers the same amount of resveratrol as found in a glass of red wine without the alcohol, sulfates, or tannins. Years of medical studies indicate that regular resveratrol in our diets promote cardiovascular health, slows the progression of certain cancers, Alzheimer's disease, and type 2 diabetes. Vera Roasting Coffee won double-blind taste tests against the leading coffees. Vera Roasting also offers its delicious heart-healthy coffees with added vitamin D to help ward off the winter blues. You can't get Vera Roasting coffee in stores. You need to go to veraroasting.com. Free and fast shipping is always available. veraroasting.com. Vera like Vera Bradley. Go to veraroasting.com. That's veraroasting.com. Looking for an authentic Italian meal in an intimate setting? Then you might just want to venture out to Boston this weekend and dine at Terramia Ristorante, a true gem among all those rhinestones in Boston's North End. This cozy tutorial with stucco walls and beam ceilings specializes in creative interpretations of Italian classics. Like the cuisines here, the atmosphere is elegant yet understated. Since opening in 1993, Terramia Ristorante has aimed to convince diners that there's always more to Italian food than just red sauce. Over the years, the innovative and beloved restaurant has done a great deal of convincing, and best of all, it's reasonably priced. This best-kept secret is worth the trip. Call 617-523-3112 or visit terramiarestaurante.com. Tides is beachside dining at its best all year round. Located at the end of the Nahant Causeway, directly on Nahant Beach, the ocean views from the dining room and the pub can't be beat, no matter what the season. Nominated for Best of the North Shore from North Shore Magazine for Best Alfresco Dining, Best Kid-Friendly Restaurant, Best Lobster Dinner, and Best Water View. Why would you go anywhere else? Whether you choose their dining room, a frosty pint at their bar, or a sun-drenched deck on the Hunt Beach, they guarantee you great atmosphere with super food and service. Their menu is full of fresh, high-quality seafood, prime rib, chicken, pasta, and pizza that everyone will love. Check out their drink menu for fun cocktails, 
30 ice-cold beers on tap and their well-rounded wine list with their state-of-the-art tap wines. They feature full-service lottery and kino. Tides is the place to watch any big game. They have over 20 HD TVs. At Tides, they specialize in casual dining with food that's just delicious, not pretentious. Tides is a fantastic restaurant anytime, summer or winter, lunch or dinner, rain or shine. The new Cobblestone Cafe on Hanover Street in Boston brings casual, on-the-go American fare to the North End, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Open daily at 7 a.m., Cobblestone Cafe offers burgers, barbecue, salads, fries, milkshakes, seafood, and the very popular Snickerdoodle iced coffee. Delivery and catering are also available. Cobblestone Cafe, 227 Hanover Street in Boston. For more information, call 857-263-8057 or visit them online at cobblestonecafene.com. Okay, we are back, and you're listening to Talk with Francesca. I am speaking to Joseph Coughlin. He has written the book, The Longevity Economy, Unlocking the World's Fastest Growing, Most Misunderstood Market. Welcome back, Joe. Thank you so much, Francesca. So what are some different ways in which the Age Lab is improving the life of the elderly? Well, I've I've got a great team of people at MIT. I mean, it's a wonderful place to be, and the ideas of my book, The Longevity Economy, are really baked in because of the people I've gotten to work with across the years at MIT. And some of the areas that we're working in, the original area that we started working in was transportation. Because before you do anything, you've got to get there first. And if you think about the following, 70% of the people in the United States over age 50 live where transit or access to alternatives to driving don't exist or don't serve very well. And so one of the areas that we've really looked at is how can we make the car not just safer, but more intelligent or start to push the envelope towards that driverless car that will make it possible for us to not just get what we need, but to get what we want? Mm-hmm. Other areas that we're looking at? Caregiving. We've worked with companies as, as large as CVS to pharmaceutical companies and the like to better understand how do we provide care for those that we love? Not just medication reminders, but how do we think about intelligent systems to put in the house to be able to monitor whether mom is doing okay or whether something is wrong and needs intervention. Like Retirement what? planning. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, systems such as uh, detections, uh, sensors that would be able to de- detect whether or not there's been activity in the house. Did she make her coffee this morning? Um, ways to remain in contact virtually. You know, one of the things that we forget is that our parents and our grandparents lived at a time where they had many children and many children that lived nearby. The baby boomers and certainly the generations after them have far fewer children, and most of those children have probably moved at a distance or are so busy they don't have time to check in every day. So imagine new technologies that allow you not just to remind your mom to take her meds, but to have a grandchild ask, hey, what was your favorite cookie recipe so I can make the cookies over here? So kind of a Skype on steroids that also has a medical Mm -hmm. and social connection uh, part of it as well. We're also looking at the future of retirement planning, not just about money. But what are the real important things in retirement that you may need the money for, but you may be ignoring because you've always taken them for granted? You know, when when I think of a social media I and older people, I think frustration uh, because I hear that all so often. I mean, it's overwhelming. I mean, I you know, I'm only in my 50s and sometimes I feel overwhelmed with technology and I didn't grow up with it obviously but you know I was young enough that when it sort of all came about that you know I picked it up and I learned and doing what I do obviously I have to be really on top of it but 
I think that it's kind of a, it, it can be good, but it can also be bad. It can keep people connected. I know that, you know, it's a beautiful thing that, you know, the, the grandparents can see the, uh, the grandchildren through FaceTime, and that's wonderful. But I also think that it, just talking about social media a little bit, um, it, it can be a little bit, um, I don't know, just it can it can really shut people down and like it becomes virtually just you're communicating but are you really communicating do you know what i mean i mean everything is so you know i mean i could go on about this for for literally hours but you know the phone used to ring when we were kids i mean (laughs) we just have to pick it up and say hello and whoever was on the other end that's kind of the way it was you know (laughs) you know and and uh i mean that's just caller id that's nothing you know but um, you know, I mean, things have changed so, so much. And with that, of course, has made us so much more efficient. I mean, you know, I can't imagine, you know, when I think back, you know, my first business, you know, everything was manual. There were no computers yep. back then. And I don't even know how I did it and how I was successful at it. Well, it's, it sounds like we're about the same age because uh, if you know what a selectric typewriter is or a dot matrix printer or a fax machine, that gives you the age of the person right away. Right. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, you know the, the good news is the technology is getting better. But one of the frustrations that we have had is that, as I write in my book, the majority of technologies are developed by 27-year-old guys wearing sneakers and hoodies, yeah. designing technology for guys wearing sneakers and hoodies at 27 years old. And we're slowly starting to get technology that is not just accessible as in that you can use it, but is intuitive and fun. And more importantly, does not look like those TV remotes that are about two feet long with buttons the size of your entire hand, which basically are not usable. They're insulting. So we need to think of how technologies can be made more fun and usable for people at all ages. But, you know, I, I do. I don't want to leave one point off that I think that you were, you were hinting at. and I agree 100 percent. High tech, I believe, as you might imagine from somebody from MIT, I think is fantastic. It's revolutionized the way we live. However, I still do not believe high tech is a substitute for high touch. So Mm. whether it's a cuddly robot, a Skype call, or an email is no substitute for a hug, coffee and cookies, or frankly, calling up just to say, hi, how you doing? Those things should never be replaced. But when they have been available... Yeah, they've, they have been, and largely, I'm not entirely sure it's because of the technology. It's because the volume, the velocity, and the complexity of daily life for our families and the separation of our families and the fact that we have fewer children means that, frankly, there are fewer social connections. And that's why it gets back to what we were talking about a few moments ago. You really, really have to work hard at creating new friends every single day. You know, we pound people about saving for retirement. We don't pound people to say you need to save for your social well-being, which means doing new things every day to meet new people to counter the natural attrition of friendship and family over time. Right. And then, of course, as people get older, I mean, there are people who die. I mean, let's face it. You know, I know my mom is almost 92 years old and she was the baby in her family. She's lost every single one of her sisters and brothers and my father and her friends. And I and I think that, you know, I think that as people get older, I think there is more depression um, in the elderly. um, And that's probably one of the big reasons. So it's even more important before your health starts failing or you know your knees start going that you really have a good support system in place you know i mean absolutely 
In fact, for all the discussion about disease in the country, whether it's cardiovascular or diabetes, these are all terrible conditions that, that people are managing, and unfortunately, more and more of them are baby boomers. But there's one epidemic that does not get the attention it deserves, and that's the epidemic of isolation. Social isolation mm-hmm. is not just about a physical issue. It is a social issue that has profound physical health well-being. So bouts of depression, not being able to get out, losing those friends. We may be living longer, but if you have your house, you have money, and you have health care insurance, but you have no friends and no ways of getting out, that's the same as being in a prison. Because frankly, in a prison, they will give you shelter, they will give you food, they will give you health care. So without having those connections to the outside world remain vibrant and continue to grow, all of a sudden retirement is not the thing that we planned for. So what would I couldn't agree with you more? I mean, it's just it's it's so true that connection is virtually everything. And if you and I think that you know, I mean, half the probably visits to the emergency room are probably psychological, even though they're physical. You know, with chest pain and it's all about anxiety. Yep. You know, the fear of being disconnected. I mean, we are, you well, know, we're pack animals, really. <laughs> Yeah, well, even some of the technologies that you see uh, that people put in their homes to to make sure that if mom has fallen, that she's okay and she can get up and all that, we find that in even those technologies, nearly 25% of the calls to the provider are, hey, is this machine working? And frankly, what they're doing is they're calling just to have someone to speak to, Mm -hmm. and it's less about the technology themselves. So, so when I hear, here's some things that your listeners can think about, and, and it's something our parents never had to because they either had lots of people around them or, frankly, they didn't live nearly as long as the, the coming generation of retirees. First off is, as we've been talking about, one is really thinking about how do you continue to expand your social relationships as you age, not just having a friend for the decades, but a new friend at least every one or two years, mm-hmm. that, uh, not right. just one that, uh, that, that you have casually, but one that if you wanted to go out for an ice cream cone at the bl- uh, uh, drop of a hat, they would say, sure, let's go do that. So there's something to do. It's not about the grand ventures. It's about the little things that make us smile. The second thing is, frankly, where do you live? I mean, as much as I love where I am out in the suburbs and the like, the closest exciting thing to do is a two-mile drive to CVS. So do you live in a place that has the intensity and density and accessibility to little things that keep you up and keep you going and, frankly, make you smile? And then, by the way, can you walk there? Are there alternative transportation? You know, Can you use mass transit or the bus and the like? But, you know, most of us, if we can't drive by age 75, 85, whatever it might be is, we're less likely to wake up one day and say we can take the bus. So we may want to live in a place that has those services nearby. Mm-hmm. And then probably third, for those that have the physical well-being, is to have those hobbies, those volunteer activities, or even the gig economy, you know, the driving for the Ubers, the Lyfts and the like. It's not for kids anymore. You see more people over age 50 and 60 doing those jobs, not just for the cash, but for the connection. How can... Speak to the the younger crowd here about how they can help the people who are a little older, who maybe haven't, who haven't been, um, you know, haven't taken the uh, older people who kind of haven't taken advantage of what they should have taken advantage of. And now they're kind of almost getting a little too old to do that. So how could maybe the younger generation help them out? I, I think that we have a great opportunity 
to have much more intergenerational connection. At the MIT Age Lab, for instance, we have a program called Omega, where we've actually enlisted high school students to come up with new ideas of how to engage the elderly population, the the 85 plus Mm -hmm. uh, in particular that may be stuck at home and the like. We have the possibility of of, uh, of, of uh, r- relatively young folks in their 20s and 30s uh, that have come out of the lab and other places around the world that are starting companies to help connect people socially or to help them uh, be able to, shall we say, rent out a bedroom, if you will, not just to have connection, but also a, a source of income, mm-hmm. or frankly, to go- develop services to have somebody come in and change that light bulb in your house that when you were younger, you never thought about, you just did it. Right. But when you're 85 or 90, you might be able to do it, but somebody's going to be screaming at you saying, Joe, get off that ladder. You're going to break your hip. Well, mm-hmm. you're probably going to break your hip, not because you fell, but because your wife were yelling at you, yeah. telling you to get off the ladder. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so younger people should look at this as not just not as a social obligation, but with any luck, they will get older, too. And it's up to us to invent a future old age. It's something we all look forward to because it's the only class of person that we all aspire to being. Living longer, living better. Where's the best place, Joe, to retire to? Well, you know, it's interesting you should say that because many people have looked to the warmer climates and this time of year in particular, I'm certainly one of them. Mm-hmm. But one of the areas that, that people tend to have been finding that is a good place to retire are smaller towns, but more importantly, college communities. Not because they're all going to go back and take classes or get a degree or something like that. But college towns from Ann Arbor, and by the way, no one retires to Ann Arbor, Michigan for the weather, to Charlotte, uh, uh, North, you know, uh, Chapel Hill or Mm -hmm. Providence, Rhode Island, or even parts of Boston, Um, largely because these places have exciting things to do. There's lots of cafes. There's lots of activity. There's, shall we say, every September busloads of, shall we say, rather interesting people that keep the town vibrant. There's sports. There's theater. But what else does a big college town typically have? a medical school. So there's built-in medical and health care. So we have to look for those communities that offer us, uh, as I like to say, the ability to go out and get an ice cream cone. Now, you're going to laugh, but to me, that's that's the real measure of a quality retirement. It's a hot July night, peepers are out there, and you want a soft serve, and you want it now. (laughs) Is it nearby? Do you have the transportation to get there? Do you have a friend or a partner that you can go there with not planning a week in advance, not a day in advance, but it's 7 o'clock at night, and by 7.30, you want a chocolate and vanilla soft serve swirl with Jimmy's. Mm-hmm. The fact of the matter is, if you live in a community that can get you there easily, that has the social connectivity and has the health care and everything else around it, that's probably a winner. But retiring to someplace that is vacant half the year because the weather changes or that you move to because the weather is great but you know no one, and you don't have connections to the healthcare providers you need for your particular combination of, uh, of chronic conditions. That may sound great when you're 50s and 60s, and then one day you're going to wake up in your 70s and 80s and realize this is not working. And that's why we see so many people that retire to Florida or Arizona that ricochet back typically to the Northeast or to Chicago near where the oldest daughter lives because their spouse has either gotten sick or worse. Right, right. And now they need to be with somebody else. Exactly, exactly. You know, one of the issues, though, with living in the places that you're describing is that it it tends to be very expensive, like Boston, you know, I mean, yeah, if you want to go live in the the South End, and you've got everything walking distance, but you can't even touch it, you know, or, you know, whenever you're living in a major city, and isn't that really kind of what you're talking about is living in a major city? (laughs) 
Well, two things. One, you're right, they do expensive, but I'm looking at the smaller towns. In fact, if you look at where people are moving, the, the newspapers will tell you they're moving to the South End or south of Houston, you know, Houston Street in New York or a place like that. Right. And there's some people moving there. It's, it's the one-tenth of one percent doing it. But for the rest of us, the majority of us, we are what we call aging in place. We are aging where we are in our 50s where because our marriage, our mortgage, our memories are there. That's where we're staying. So think about the amazing business opportunities as well as lifestyle opportunities that are starting to emerge. Those small towns that were once kind of emptying out or suburban towns that were once boring, mm-hmm. we're starting to see development of not just strip malls, but of what I like to call faux town centers, little tiny main streets, or towns that were once mill towns that were abandoned and had the, you know, the little park in the center of the town with a bandstand. Those are starting to come back. So what we really need to start thinking about is, is the community that we're choosing to age in place or choosing to move to not just affordable, but is it coming back with a vibrancy that makes it livable? We don't have to be in Manhattan to have a New York style life uh, right. uh, in retirement. Hey, Joe, what's your advice for older people who don't want to or can't, well, don't want to is fine, but who can't afford to retire? Well, for those who can't afford to retire, I mean, it, it, it's a it's a dire circumstance, and unfortunately, so many of us are in the in that position. Well, it's because so as, as we live longer, still, I mean, you've got to you know you've got to be more prepared. Yeah, I mean, the number one fear is that will my wealth span uh, 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 be as long as my lifespan, and people are terrified of that, and rightly so. So, that, you know, among the things they can do. And I'm certainly not an expert on money, but, you know, we certainly have studied how people live and make decisions. For those who are physically able, working longer is a real option. You know, an AARP survey suggested that 40% of the 50-plus plan to work until they drop, but another 30% plan to work at least until they're 70. Most of those, of course, identified cash as the number one reason. But the other reason was meaning, social connection, and having something to do to get up in the morning. So working longer will certainly make that possible. And by the way, you can stay in the job that you've been in for decades, but frankly, most of us do want to retire from that. But most of us want to retire from that to do something else, even if it's part-time, flex time, and the like. Mm -hmm. The second thing is, and this is where it gets really hard, is how do you downsize? Downsizing is not just for those folks that are looking to, to live by water or something like that and dump the big house, but downsizing is also for simplicity, reducing costs, and the like. And as you mentioned, that gets more and more difficult because the places we would like to live are also tend to be much more expensive. And right. third is to never stop looking at your own retirement plan. There's always something you can do at any age. So seeking the, the advice, if you will, from financial institutions, from financial advisors and the like, is one way to figure out, you know, how bad is it and what can I do now? Right. And, and now in your book, um, there's is there anything that you would like to discuss that we haven't discussed that you think is important for our listeners to, to pick up? Other than obviously to pick I, up I the think, book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Definitely pick up the book. Definitely. But it's I, called I, The Longevity Economy by Joseph Coughlin, Unlocking the World's Fastest Growing, Most Misunderstood Market. Go ahead, Joe. I'm sorry. So I, I think that one of the things that, that, that people can take away, and other than that the future is female and, and that this is a great business opportunity, but the other part of it that they may want to think about is that the, the first part of the book is old age is made up. And that is up to us to take those 8,000 days and to make something entirely new from it. What Imagining what we're going to do with that time, not just to retire and, and to, to wait around on the beach or how many rounds of golf we can play, but 
Will we work longer doing something differently? How will we keep our relationships exciting and delighting? How can we make new friends? This is an entirely unprecedented life stage that no other set of humans have had. It's because we're living longer, we want to live better, and this is truly the new frontier for people, families, and business. And, you know, it, we have to stay healthy, though, too. I mean, that's a big part of it, because if you're not healthy, you know, you can't do anything, right? I mean, you've, no, got, you've, you've got to eat no, right, you've got to exercise. I mean, these are no-brainers, but, you know, people just don't do them. Of course, yeah, even... The, 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 this is the new social contract around longevity, which is it's not just about eating right and exercising and saving your money so that you can have a good retirement. The fact is, is that the original equipment you got at birth has to last closer and closer every day to 100 years. So taking care of that, make sure that that's 100 years of living longer better, not just 100 years of pain and suffering. What, what do you think, the, what is the average lifespan now? Well, you know, it's interesting. If you look at actuary tables, they have people in their late 70s, mm-hmm. but the fastest growing part of the population is 85 plus, and within that small segment, 100 plus. The fact of the matter is, is that you have to choose your parents well, choose your lifestyle well, and frankly, it's terrible to say this, it's biased, but income and education also predict how long you are likely to, likely to live overall. Why would that there be? Is a little bit well, because frankly, the, the people who, who have the education are, are likely to be able to access different services and, and, and knowledge about what they should be eating and what they should be doing. And income matters, the quality of where you live, the quality of the food you buy, the quality of the health care you may be able to access. And, and so there, there is, unfortunately, a longevity bias in, in the, the so-called income inequality that many people speak of. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that we should all prepare to living longer than our parents did. Oh, no doubt about it. All right, Joe. Well, is there anything that I haven't asked you before we say goodbye? I just want to say thank you so much, Francesca. I hope that, uh, uh, that everyone enjoys the book and realizes that this is not a book about longevity. It's a book, frankly, for us to all think about how to kickstart living longer, living better in a whole new world of longevity. Fantastic. Thanks for being on Talk with Francesca today. Thank you, Francesca. Okay. All right, it's time to wrap things up. We have to say goodbye. I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did. It was really very interesting information. And um, if you just tuned in towards the end you can go to my recent shows and listen there you can also listen on itunes so lots of places to listen to talk with francesca and uh, have a great week and we'll see you next week same time same place 